Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Bernie Wagonblast. Once ubiquitous in North America, the monarch's striking orange and black wings are likely the first image that comes to mind when picturing a butterfly. The monarch is famed not only for its beauty, but also for its role in a healthy ecosystem. The pollinators are a critical support to some uniquely American landmarks, from the Great Smoky Mountains to Zion National Park. Yet, over the past few decades, the monarch has experienced a dramatic dip in population. In response, practitioners and politicians alike have taken up the monarch's cause, introducing new legislation and implementing better environmental practices to benefit the species. Last year, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service signed on to a Canada Conservation Agreement with Assurances, or CCAA, for the monarch butterfly. And this past March, Senator Jeff Merkley introduced two bills to help further protect the pollinators. As the eastern members of this iconic species prepare for their annual migration to Mexico, we'll sit down with Arizona Department of Transportation's roadside resource specialist, Chris Gade, one of the professionals leading the charge for monarch conservation. Chris? Thanks so much for joining us on Ashto's ETAP podcast. Well, thank you for the opportunity to join and talk about monarch conservation. Before we really get into the monarchs themselves, I'm curious a bit about yourself, because a lot of people don't understand how your role fits into transportation and particular ADOT. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you became involved with this, please. I guess I'll start with the role of biologists in transportation agencies. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that because transportation agencies manage land across large landscapes, um, we do run into a lot of special species, things like that, that require some assistance with complying with regulations and just general conservation uh, methods during construction and maintenance. I started out with a background in environmental science and biology always worked with engineering companies, first on cleaning up Navy bases, and then decided to go back to grad school and study the interactions between humans and their environment in an urban ecology program that was interdisciplinary. And I decided I wanted to look at how roads um, help plants move through the landscape and fell into specifically working with transportation because I could get one permission to study sites along the ADOT right-of-way. And as I got more into learning about how the DOT worked, um, I got to know more people at Arizona DOT. I also went and worked in Australia and worked with Victoria Roads in a state there and their maintenance groups. And so um, I didn't realize it, but I was really creating (laughs) a niche for myself (laughs) to come back here in Arizona and help with biology compliance and also managing roadside vegetation. Wow, very interesting. Well, now let's get into the topic at hand, the monarch butterflies. Tell us a bit about why they are so important. What's their benefit to our environment? And why should DOTs invest in their conservation? Well, monarch butterflies are great because they're really iconic. They're really widespread, so people are very familiar with them. And they really capture people's imagination because of their really amazing life cycle and migration. They have up to five generations that somehow know to migrate up to 3,000 miles each year and then return to overwintering sites. 
And as the butterflies are moving through the landscape, they're feeding on nectar from different flowers. And as they do that, they move pollen from flower to flower, helping the plants reproduce and make seeds. And so they provide a really important ecosystem service as a pollinator, but they're also food sources for birds and other animals. So they're really integral to the ecosystems that they're in. And that's widespread across the U.S. DOTs can play a, a really important role in their conservation because we manage um, millions of acres outside of the paved lanes in the rights of way. Federal highways did a study. There's up to 5 million acres in the state highway system rights of way. And 70% of that is unpaved. Um, and that's actually just a subset of the roads that state departments of transportation manage. So if we can provide habitat in some of those unpaved areas by just making small changes in our practices, then that can have a really big benefit to monarchs and other pollinators. And along the way, some of those practices can also save money for the DOT. As I mentioned in the introduction, the population of monarch butterflies has dipped dramatically in the past few decades. Why is that? What are some of the challenges that monarch butterflies are facing in terms of their survival? Yeah, they have challenges um, both during migration and in the places where they overwinter. In the migration, which is the part that happens across the whole U.S., it's mainly related to a reduction in habitat, especially nectar and milkweed plants. Um, milkweed plants are really important because they're the only type of plant that monarchs lay their eggs on and that the caterpillars can eat as they grow. And so having enough milkweed for them to reproduce is one of the limiting factors. And the reason there's less milkweed is that there's been a general loss of these floral resources from the landscape due both to development and some large-scale farming practices, as well as drought conditions in the West. And so there's smaller patches of habitat and then also in a lot of places, fewer plants overall. And another issue is that um, the blooming times might not match the times when monarchs are moving through an area when you have fewer species or fewer plants and then also different uh, weather conditions. And then if you think about the overwintering areas, they overwinter the Eastern population in forests in Mexico and Western population in groves of trees in coastal California. And both of those areas are um, under pressures for deforestation and development. And so their overwintering areas are also getting smaller over time. The third thing is really um, just extreme weather during both the wintering when they're in their groves over the winter and then during the migration. Both of those can lead to smaller numbers of monarchs overall. Last year, you and the uh, Rights of Way as Habitat Working Group at the University of Illinois helped organize the signing of a nationwide candidate conservation agreement with assurances for monarch butterflies with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Tell us a bit about that, and what are some of the benefits of that agreement? I was really proud to be a part of development of that agreement. Um, it was uh, one of the first, or actually the first, of the candidate conservation agreements with assurances that covered such a large area, all of the lower 48 states. And it was developed in a pretty quick time frame, especially for being such a large agreement. 
And it all came together, led by the Right to Ways Habitat Working Group, but with over 40 partners that came together to provide both financial and technical support in developing it. And the reason we did that was just coming to the realization that a lot of energy and transportation agencies were pretty hesitant to enhance or create uh, monarch and other pollinator habitat on the lands they manage because of the fact that the monarch could become listed under the Endangered Species Act and that that might bring some more regulatory requirements to them with a future listing of the species. So there was the desire to do conservation, but also a hesitancy because of that uncertainty. And so that's really one of the benefits for DOTs is that if they enroll in the agreement, it allows them to document the conservation activities they're taking and show that they're providing a net benefit to the butterfly. But they also receive assurances that these actions that they commit to will be sufficient if the monarch becomes listed under the Endangered Species Act and that there wouldn't be additional requirements unless it's needed to help benefit the butterfly. It also helps Fish and Wildlife Service because the species is so widespread, they have many, many different groups that are going to need to comply with Endangered Species Act regulations. And so having an umbrella agreement like this Um, reduces their management of it. The um, University of Illinois Chicago and the Rights of Ways Habitat Working Group really manage the agreement and they report to Fish and Wildlife Service. And then the other thing I'd like to just throw out there is that having this as a framework could really lead to similar agreements for other widespread species, bumblebees that are being considered for listing, but also other species that are found in multiple states this type of framework could be used to develop conservation agreements for those as well. We've seen in Congress uh, continued conservation work with the introduction of the Monarch Action Recovery and Conservation of Habitat, which just coincidentally happens to spell Monarch Act, as well as the Monarch and Pollinator Highway Act. Are things moving in the right direction as far as the law is concerned? And can DOTs act quickly enough to help save the monarch butterflies? The laws were really prompted by the most recent winter counts for the Western population of monarch. The counts were very low, and it showed us that we really needed to be taking some immediate action. And so the conservation actions that the proposed bills would support with funding would definitely help with that and help with getting those actions kind of jump-started. The monarch CCAA has been in place since April 2020, and it's showing that DOTs and energy companies are already taking actions to conserve and enhance pollinator and monarch habitat. And um, in fact, 27 um, applications have come into the agreement since it went into effect, including from 11 transportation agencies. And so you can see even in this just first year and a half, these applications cover more than 780,000 acres where conservation actions are being implemented over more than 5 million acres of managed lands just from those applicants so far. And so the goal of the agreement is to get up to 2 million acres of lands with conservation actions being taken. Senator Jeff Merkley and Congressman Jimmy Panetta, sponsors of the Monarch and Pollinator Highway Act, said that their bill, quote, would help address the steep decline in pollinators' population, which poses a serious threat to farmers and the American food supply. 
Do you agree? And when and how quickly should DOTs and their partners move to prevent this? Yeah, I definitely agree that the bill would help address the decline of pollinator populations. And it is a serious threat to farmers and the American food supply. Monarchs themselves don't pollinate food plants, but bees and other pollinators are essential for that. The things that DOTs can do is that because we manage these road systems that are dispersed across the whole country, we have the ability to help create habitat in areas where it's very important and there might not be other opportunities. And so us taking action to conserve and enhance these habitat areas in the available areas of the right-of-way will definitely help with counteracting the decline. And that also the candidate conservation agreement and other types of voluntary conservation efforts kind of give DOTs the confidence to make these changes in their management practices to enhance pollinator habitat without this concern that they're going to be creating additional regulatory burdens for themselves by doing that. And so a lot of DOTs are already enacting these practices and enhancing pollinator habitat. So they'll be supporting monarchs as well as the native and honeybees that are essential for pollinating food crops. So yeah, I'd continue to encourage DOTs to look at their programs and consider what they can do starting now to enhance habitat and to look at whether the candidate conservation agreement is a tool that they might be interested in using. You mentioned early on about how the monarch butterflies overwinter in California as far as the U.S. is concerned in the groves and migrate to the east. Are there different approaches for eastern and western monarch populations as far as conservation is concerned? And what have you found are the most successful approaches to conserve these butterflies? There are the low-hanging fruit, the easiest approaches and things to um, enhance monarch habitat are similar, but the way they're implemented in the east and the western U.S. are different. The main thing that DOTs have been able to easily implement is reducing the frequency and the overall areas that they're mowing on the roadside. Of course, that has to be done in the context of maintaining road safety, visibility for drivers, recovery areas, that kind of thing. And the fact is in the Eastern US, a lot of that just reducing mowing, just allow more milkweed to pop up and increase the number of stems with just that change in scheduling or of where mowing is happening. In the Western US, milkweed occurs a lot more sporadically. And so it might take additional efforts to boost the number of milkweed stems. It might take some seeding or other kinds of efforts like that. But the fact is that in the West, nectar resources may be just as important or possibly more important in some areas than the number of milkweed stems in order to help monarchs when they're on their migration to get to those more dispersed patches of milkweed. While it is the same general action, you do have to think about it differently for different geographies of the U.S. All DOTs, when they do construction projects, have to stabilize the soil when they're done after it's been disturbed. And so while creating or enhancing habitat by adding seeds or plants is often very expensive to do in a maintenance context, following a construction project, that is generally one of the steps is to amend the soil and seed or install plants. And at that point, there can be just a small tweak looking at the seed mixes to include things that will benefit pollinators. 
And that could make a big difference as well. You just talked about some of the steps that can be taken from what you've heard and seen. Are those steps being taken fairly widespread across the country? So it's been already a movement that many DOTs were implementing a kind of process called integrated vegetation management, where um, looking toward the long term of what kind of plant communities are more sustainable with less effort on the roadside and changing management practices with the goal of getting to those particular types of communities. So that does include using native plants more and just reducing the intensity of management that's needed. And so that is something that many DOTs have already implemented. And then we can see more specifically um, with the 11 DOTs that have applied to the candidate conservation agreement and a few others have done other voluntary conservation efforts as well, that these are being implemented right now. And the other benefit of it is that reducing mowing or identifying areas that don't need to be mowed for multiple years not only benefits the habitat, but it saves money. And so these are steps that DOTs may already be taking for other reasons that also benefit the pollinators. I'd like to wrap up just learning a little bit more about the monarch butterflies. What's their lifespan? Are they like salmon? Do they return to the same places uh, that they were born? Uh, No, not the same butterfly. Um, It actually can be three or four generations of butterflies as they move northward from Mexico up to Canada. So that's one of the amazing things about monarchs is that a monarch is flying toward the north and it will stop you know, reproduce, lay an egg, and then the caterpillar will grow up and continue moving north. And then eventually they get to the northern end of their habitat. And those monarchs don't go into reproductive status. They fly all the way back down to their wintering area and live through the winter to start the next migration. And so understanding how they know where to go You know, it probably has to do with day length, things like that. But it is really just a fascinating phenomenon, a really interesting, iconic species. And they're really great just because getting to watch that transformation from caterpillar to butterfly, and it can happen in people's backyards, is just a really special species and really meaningful for a lot of people. Amazing to uh, think of that journey and how it is affected by all that goes on around us. Our guest on this episode of the Ashto ETAP podcast has been Chris Gate. She's a roadside resources specialist at the Arizona Department of Transportation. Chris, thanks so much for taking time out to chat with us. Thank you.